All right. Tonight we return back to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. For those uh, participating online for the Bible study exercise, uh, we looked at the last time we did a study for for that part of the of everything. We looked at John fifteen verses twenty six through twenty seven, uh, and that dealt with the conviction, the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Um, I broke up the convicting work of the Holy Spirit into three parts, uh, basically prior to salvation, in salvation, and after salvation. I think we did a pretty good job of explaining before and during, very difficult in understanding the after. So we broke that all down. Um, I, I didn't get to it today. Maybe, I don't know if, if, if I'll do anything this evening, but John 16, 12 through 15 um, deals with, well, I'll just read it. John 16, 12 through 15. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when the Holy Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. Deals with what some people refer to as either the leading of the Holy Spirit or the illuminating of the Holy Spirit or guiding into all truth of the Holy Spirit, which I have major, 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 major issues with. Um, and we will try to deal with it. There's no easy answers, but we will see. All right. Um, so what we're going to do now is return back to basically just what I learned in seminary from uh, on what's called pneumatology or the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And we're just going to go back and work through it at pretty basic academic kind of way. We'll try to review what we've looked at and see how far we can we can take this study. So here we go. The, we looked at the personality of the Holy Spirit, making sure we understand the Holy Spirit is not just a force. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, one God, three distinct persons, co-equal, co-eternal, right? We dealt with that. And what were all the things we said about the personality of the Holy Spirit? If you took notes, we talked about the fact he has a mind. He searches out the human mind, has a will. He forbids. He permits, he speaks, he loves, he grieves, and he prays. Right? Remember all of that? We went through all of that. Then we talked about the deity of the Holy Spirit. Right? If we're going to say he's third person of the Trinity, clearly has to, has to be deity. And we referred to the deity of the Holy Spirit by looking at attributes. Right? The Holy Spirit has which attribute? Omnipresent. Omniscient. Omnipotent, right? It just may, omniscient means what? All-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, okay? Omnipresent, present everywhere at all times. Eternal, he is called God. Remember, we, we looked at some passages that uh, demonstrated that. And we looked at passages about him being made equal with the Father and the Son. And we saw that in the baptismal experience of Christ, possibly seen in the temptation of Christ, uh, declared uh, by Jesus in the upper room, as declared by Paul. Do, 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 did we look at all of those passages of how he's kind of made equal with, with the Father and the Son? Did we, did we look at these or not? I don't remember. Okay, well then we'll, we'll work on it, all right? Okay, maybe we skip this. Maybe we skip that. You know what? We'll go ahead and skip it for now. 
All right. Maybe we'll come back to it because I think I, I think the reason I decided to skip this is, hey, look, if we can prove that the Holy Spirit is given the attributes of God of omnipresence, omniscience, omnipotent, eternal. He's called God and he's declared to be holy. That pretty much re- resolves the debate. Yes. So that's probably why I didn't take it further and I stopped right there. It's probably why we decided to skip that. So we skipped that part. That's fine. We'll Maybe we'll find a way to put that back into the study. Then we started looking at the names and titles of the Holy Spirit, right? And how many names and titles did we come up with? Yeah, the, 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 the book gives us 13. I think we came up with more. And then we threw, we, we rejected one that was in the book. Remember, we had some, some differences. But let's go through these. What was the first one? Spirit of God found in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Next, Spirit of Christ is found in Romans 8.9. Third, the eternal spirit, Hebrews 9.14. Next, spirit of truth, John 16.13. Next, spirit of grace. Next, spirit of glory. Uh, well, spirit of grace was Hebrews 10.29. Spirit of glory was 1 Peter 4.4, right? Or 4.14, I apologize. Okay, next, spirit of life, Romans 8.2. Spirit of wisdom and revelation, is, uh, and that's Ephesians 1.17. The comforter, John 14.26. I'll go through these again, in case for anyone who's listening online trying to catch up or anybody here. The spirit of God is 1 Corinthians 3.16. The spirit of Christ is Romans 8.9. The eternal spirit is Hebrews 9.14. The spirit of truth is John 16.13. The spirit of grace is Hebrews 10.29. The spirit of glory is 1 Peter 4.14. The spirit of life is Romans 8.2. The spirit of wisdom and revelation is Ephesians 1.17. And the comforter is John 14.26. And the spirit of promise... That's the one we scratched off, so we'll leave that one out. Because if you look at the scripture, they give it, he's not actually called the spirit of promise, is he? So, if, if, why, why place a title there that's not actually in the passages that you give? I have no idea why, but okay. Next, the spirit of adoption, Romans 8.15. The spirit of holiness, Romans 1.4. Spirit of life, 2 Corinthians 4.13. Or I'm spirit of faith. I'm sorry. Uh, spirit of faith is Second Corinthians four thirteen. Yeah. We, well, in the book it didn't have it, but we added Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit. They just kind of go with that as an assumption, but we added Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit, which are the ones that are most frequently used. Yes. Right. And we looked at all the times that they're used. So that gives us all the titles. That's very important for the people listening online doing the topical method of Bible study. Um, there, there you go. You, I, I did part of the work for you. There you go. All right. Now, tonight, we come to the emblems of the Holy Spirit. According to them, like the 13 names and titles, his six designated emblems throw light upon both his nature and mission. So they're going to what they call emblems or I guess symbols of the Holy Spirit. Emblems or symbols of the Holy Spirit. Now this one we've got to be careful with, right? Okay? Because we got to make sure that it's actually being used as a symbol or an emblem 
and not just saying, let me, let, me, let me ask this question. If the text says the Holy Spirit is like unto this, is that a symbol, is that an emblem, or is it just drawing a, con- a, a comparison or a contrast? We'll have to see what they use and how, how, what we do with this, all right? Because we don't want to draw a conclusion that's not biblical, but th- let's see what they do with this. Everybody ready? What do you think the first one they're going to go to? The dove. Everyone goes to the dove. That's right. Everyone goes to the dove. Okay. Except maybe in Texas where they shoot doves. But, but they, typically this is a common. This is a common thing. All right. Where would we go to see this? Okay. Now, in the baptism, it says the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, right? Is that, how, is that the one you're looking for? Okay, all right. Okay, go ahead and find that. That's fine. That's not the one they give, but that's okay. Well, may, well actually, they may use that one. I don't think they use the scripture I'm thinking of. I think they use a different one. You're probably thinking the one in Matthew, right? Okay. Yeah, they don't use the one in Matthew, but that's okay. See if you can find it. When you find it, let me know what you have. Matthew 3.13. All right, Matthew 3.16. Do we have an agreement? 3.16? All right, 3.16, which reads, When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. Him, and then a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. They're saying the, the they're then making the argument that the Holy Spirit here, the dove is an emblem or a symbol for the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know if that's really, I don't know. To me, it's just, it's just trying to give us some way to explain how it's descended upon him, kind of like a dove coming down. And I don't know if it's like, hey, this is a symbol as much as it's just giving us some kind of visible representation so that we can kind of picture it or understand it. Does that that make sense? But okay, they want to call it a symbol, an emblem. That's okay. Let's go to John. uh, The one they offer here is John chapter 1, verse 32. John chapter 1, verse 32. Okay. John 1, 32, and what do you read there? Okay, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. Now, according... Okay, well, they're going to use... Well, we'll look at one just for fun, okay? But according to them... The dove is used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and it indicates the following three things. Are you ready? Supposedly, it indicates purity, peace, and modesty. That's what they claim. Okay. Okay, do I? Well, they definitely would not be going from tradition, trust me, okay? The, the school that used this would, no, they would say tradition is bad, okay? They would not, no, no, they would not go with this, right? But they said it's, they don't give a source, okay? Because scripture alone, okay? Except when you don't have scripture, then you just dogmatically assert something. So they're saying the dove indicates purity, peace, and modesty, 
Purity, peace, and modesty. Is there any way to even come close to trying to prove that? Well, even if you did, I mean, are you going to find that the dove, repre- I don't think you're going to find a scripture that says the dove represents this. Okay. Okay, see so if you can find anything that connects peace with a dove. All right, I'm going to grab here. I got a symbolic dictionary here. I just find it interesting. I just find it funny when you when sometimes you learn these things and then you're like, "Where did, where did you get this?" Okay. All right, let's see here. See what you can find. Okay, that offers absolutely no help. Yeah. Do you see anything in the Old Testament in regards to doves? Turtle dove offerings, right? Yeah, nothing here. I'm looking at the Dictionary of Symbolic Language. They don't, they don't even do any, they don't offer any help here. None. None. Anything you can find. Anything. The best you can come up with. I'm, I mean, will, I mean, do, I mean, be creative. Make something up. I'm willing to, I'm willing to. Well, I don't know. It does, I don't think the word actually says it represents. Right, but I, so let, let's make sure we, let's see, we, are we in agreement here? Just because it says the spirit descended like a dove doesn't mean it's the dove is a representation or a symbol. It just, it's comparing the descent of the Holy Spirit to something that is visible, that we know. It's just giving us something to be able to picture. I don't think it's like, hey, the dove represents the Holy Spirit. I just think. So you're saying you don't, you don't think an actual dove came down. Oh, it may have. It may have. But. It would just be a visible representation of something. I don't think it was, was to set up that the spirit, the dove, the spirit, the dove is always a representation of the Holy Spirit. Because if the dove is always a representation, a represent, representation of the Holy Spirit, why is the dove being killed in the Old Testament for a sacrifice? Right? Yeah, I just think it's using a visible representation. Right? I mean, I could be wrong. I mean, that's just my assertion. Well, I mean, they make the uh, assertion just dogmatically that the dove <laughs> is an emblem of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Right. So they don't say only in certain cases, they just, but they can only go to basically one verse. Okay, oh, where do you have innocent as doves? Matthew ten sixteen. everyone look up Matthew ten sixteen. Well, let's see. Harmless as a dove. Okay, harmless as a dove. That doesn't really go with purity. Okay. Harmless as a dove. Okay, maybe, but harmless and innocent, is that the same thing? Maybe, kind of? See, this is where, just make sure you understand, this is where I have major problem with typology and symbolism. I have major issues with it because people just go wicky-wacky with this stuff, right? They start making stuff up. I mean, anybody got any better ideas? I'm, I'm giving you every opportunity to prove this right. 
I'm giving you every opportunity. The dove indicates purity, peace, and modesty. And then the next scripture they have doesn't offer any proof to that. Uh-huh. Oh, they do make a reference to Song of Songs. Okay. Ah, which, which, okay, good. That, that's, that's right here in the book. Chapter 6, verse 9. Okay. All right, this is what they have here. All right. They have Song of Solomon, which reads, My dove, my undefiled, is but one. She is the only one of her mother. She is the choice one of her that bear her. The daughter saw her and blessed her, yea, the queens and the concubines, and they praised her. Song of Solomon 6, 9. So my dove, my undefiled, they're making the argument that the dove means undefiled. You could argue just two separate things, right? My dove, my undefiled, or do you, or do you think we should read it as, what do you think? I'm giving you the opportunity to decide. Two separate descriptions? Right. I don't know if I can use that to prove that the dove... <laughs> oh, man. But see, this. I, the reason I want you to see this is because a lot of times people envision that in seminary you're learning all these... You're learning sometimes actually things that I don't even agree with. Okay. Right, but I'm saying there's a lots of different descriptions, so I don't know if I could immediately th- make that yeah. as. Right. So. I, I, yeah, I, I'm not. I, I put it this way: there's no way to be dogmatic about any of this. Agreed. Okay. Oh. oh. So doves mourn. Okay. Moaning, mourning, and sadness. Yeah, moaning, mourning, and sadness. They don't mention that. Okay. Silly dove. They don't mention silly. You see the danger here? Here's what happened. I just want to make sure we stress this. So many times in biblical symbolism, when someone says, this always, so, like I've got a dictionary right here of symbolic language in the Bible, right? Okay. Right. <laughs> but here's what happens. They'll say, this represents this. They'll give you three verses, right? You'll be like, oh, wow, what great symbolism. Then you start looking and expanding your search, and you start finding things that go completely contrary to that. Silly dove, mourning, all of, you know, harmless. Like, you go with a lot of different things. And you're like, wait a minute, that, how does that all, it, it, it doesn't, in other words, it won't be a consistent picture. And if it's not a consistent picture, what can you not do? Cannot be dogmatic about it. But here's the thing. Because in the baptism, the spirit descended like a dove. Everybody's like, oh, oh, we got a symbol. We got, we got, now we got to make, what does it represent? And so then people just sit around in a table going, hey, what do you think, Bobby? What do you think it represents? And Bobby just throws something out like, that sounds good. Write it down. Right. 
Okay, right? I mean, there's so many issues with that, right? I mean, it's just... Right. Well, supposedly, I mean, you know, that, that's the way we typically associate purity with white, right? But, but uh, uh, oh, we found a peace one, okay. So this article breaks it down. Uh, the reason the doves are considered the emblem of peace is Genesis 8.11, which says, The dove came to him toward evening, and behold, in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf, so no one knew that the water was abated from the land. How does that represent peace? It represents that there was land. <laughs> okay, that's what it represents. <laughs> I guess you could try to argue that the judgment was over. I don't know. It just, oh, that, that's the kind of stuff that drives me crazy. So, look, if you want to say the dove is an emblem of the Holy Spirit, please don't, if you're going to say that, don't do this. Don't tell me what the dove represents because you're just making stuff up. All right? Don't do that. Don't do that. All right? Isn't it disappointing that people pay for a seminary education and you get that? I mean, there's so many things. Okay? There's so many different things. There's no one thing. All right? Okay, does that make sense? All right. Um, yeah. Um, next, we have the dove. Uh, or, I'm sorry, we have the dove. Next, we have water. Water. They believe the Holy Spirit is, or water is an emblem or a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Water is an emblem or a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Anybody can think of where that would appear in the Bible? Ooh. Well, how would that be the Holy Spirit? You just told me it was the Word. The washing of the word would make the water, the, the word, it would be an emblem of the word, right? Not the Holy Spirit. I, I, everybody went to that one. Am I missing something? Right. Yeah, that, that would, to me, be a representation of the word, not the Holy Spirit. Right? Think of something. Come on. What? What? I don't know. You, you tell me. <laughs> Stacy's going to John 7. I think that's probably one, that's one that the book goes to. So you can feel free to go to John 7. I think it starts verse what? Verse 37? All right. John 7, 37 through 39. Everybody go there. Tell me what you find. All right, so let me read that for those listening online. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they believe on him should receive. Or the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Right, what, what do you think? Do you think that works? You think it works? Makes water a symbol of the Holy Spirit? What do you think? All right, we'll, we'll say possibly. First John five six. 
Okay, 1 John 5, 6. That's one I wasn't expecting. 1 John 5, 6. Let's take a look at this one. I've got to look this one up. 1 John 5, 6. 1 John 5, 6. What do we find? What do we find? What do we find? We find Jesus Christ. He is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify. The Spirit, the water, and the blood. That separates Spirit and water. It kind of separates them. But again, it says as one. But then there's major issues with textual variants on this passage. But okay, all right. We could, we could possibly do something there. All right, what else? How about Isaiah 44.3? Isaiah 44.3, for I will, pour, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thy offering, offspring. Uh, what they're saying is because he's going to pour water upon him that is thirsty. And then it says, I will pour my spirit. They're liking them together, saying that the water represents the spirit. Okay, possibly, possibly. All right, did, did someone have a different one? No. Stacy has Ezekiel 36. All right, we can look at it. What do we find? This is taking much longer than I thought, but that's okay. No, Ezekiel 36, that's fine. Okay, just tell me where it... All right, hang on. Let me get there. Ezekiel, Ezekiel. You said 36? Ezekiel 36, what... What verse? 25 through 27. All right, what do we have? I will also sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you. The water seems to be on you, and the spirit seems to be in you. So I would say that those are different or... Yeah, it has water, so yeah. All right, anything else? And we got another one that's good. Any, anybody? All right, so let's, let's, for argument's sake, let's argue that we have at least two passages that may make water connected with the Spirit. Let's say that's true. If water is a symbol of the Spirit, then what would it represent? Let's just go with the art. Let's just play along and see. What do you think they're going to say? Right? What would that represent? They argue that the spirit, the, since water represents the spirit, water represents life. And cleansing. Now the problem is the cleansing verses usually refer to the word and not the spirit. True. All right. The, they give Isaiah 44, 3. We'll just say I will pour my spirit upon thy seed. That would be possibly connected to life, right? It would bring life. Um, 
And then they give John 7, 37 through 39, just saying that it's going to flow out of you like rivers of living water. That, I guess you could connect that with life. None of those say anything about cleansing. None. They, they prove the life, but they just throw in the cleansing. Well, what, what would you go to with cleansing? Well, if you go to the Ezekiel passage, the water is sprinkled upon, the Spirit's put within, so it separates water and Spirit. If you go to Ephesians, where we are washed with the water of the Word, that doesn't connect it to the Spirit, that connects it to the Word. Where would you go to say that the Spirit, as connected with water, represents cleansing? Because the, the, the book doesn't even offer, they don't even try to answer it. They just, again, make a dogmatic assertion. Okay, that failed. Right. Stacy says that failed. She's already ready to move on. Sarah's frantically looking at something back here, so I'm waiting to see what she has discovered. Uh, yeah, exactly. So please note, she found a, an article that gave verses, but when you look up the verses, they don't prove what they tell you. There's nothing more maddening to me about that in the Christian world is where someone says, it means this, and you look it up and you're like, what are you talking about? All right? So, all right, so far, not so good. Okay, let's go to another one. All right. Let's see, how many more do we have here? All right, oil. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. Okay? Probably not Texas crude oil, but you get the idea. All right. What do you think? Where would we go? They give us four. They give us four here. Oh, they're really going to prove their point here. Okay, four. What do you think? All right. Okay, before we go to the Exodus one, let's go to Luke 4.18. Luke 4.18. All right. <laughs> oh, this is fun stuff. All right. Luke 4.18. All right. Tell me what you see here. All right. I'm, I'm going to read it. Tell me when you're there. Well, just because I, I hate symbolism. I hate, I hate this stuff. Because it, it sounds like when you're a young Christian, you're like, oh, it represents this. That sounds so cool. And then you can't wait to preach it or teach it. You're like, I can't. give me a group of people and you teach it. But then at some point, hopefully you continue to be a Bible student and you start realizing, I don't know if that actually works. It preaches good, but I don't know if it actually works. So at some point you have to decide what's more important, a good sermon or just being honest with the text. And well, we're supposed to be honest with the text. Look, 418. See if you see the word oil here. Okay, you ready? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Luke 4, 18. All right. Well, you know, the word oil is not even used, okay? But what word is used? The anointing. So the idea is that you're anointed with oil, therefore the oil represents the Spirit. So, I, I don't know. You, you know what you could say? I, I don't know. 
I don't even know how you try to link that together. It just seems like, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Okay, well, they used oil to anoint, so oil represents the Holy Spirit. Uh, maybe, okay. I would need something a little better than that. Agreed? All right. You said that your article gives us Exodus. Okay, now, let's make it clear. Prophets, priests, and kings were anointed in the Old Testament. The oil was used to anoint them. Christ is referred to as the anointed one. That's literally connected to his name, right? And we do believe he was anointed, well, to, to serve the office of prophet, priest, and king. Now, do we believe the Holy Spirit came upon him? Yes. So I guess you could draw a correlation that the anointing of oil, right, does, it could possibly represent how the Holy Spirit anointed Christ. Now, how that rep- connects with us, I don't know. But again, to me, it's the process of anointing more than the oil. But, but maybe. It's, the, the oil was used as a symbol. Maybe it was supposed to point to the Holy Spirit, but okay, I... Okay, well, that's the next one I was going to go to. Acts 10.38, if you want to look at it. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So, this is the idea. People in the Old Testament were anointed, and the anointing occurred with what? Oil. Therefore, in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as being anointed with the Holy Spirit. So, by placing the two concepts together... The Holy Spirit, therefore, is likened unto oil. Or oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. All right. Uh, 1038. All right. Possibly, I guess. All right. What would be another one they have here? Look at Hebrews 1 9. Hebrews 1 9. Yes. Thou hast loved righteousness. And hated iniquity, therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. The idea of being anointed with oil. Now they're saying that oil represents the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit's not mentioned, but that's, I'm just giving you what they give you. And then the next one, are you ready for the next one? Oh, this one's really good. 1 John 2.20. Well, supposedly still showing that the oil represents the Holy Spirit. 1 John 2.20 But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. That's, that's what they give. All right. Now, according to them, the Holy Spirit, or the oil, represents, you ready? It, it, light. <laughs> light, healing, and anointing for service. Light, healing, and anointing for service. Anointing for service may make more sense 
than any of them, right? That may make some sense, okay? But still, there's just a lot of, I, I don't know. I, 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 just, I guess I don't see the great value in it to some point. I do see great value. Make sure, now, make sure you mi- don't misunderstand. I do see great value at looking at prophets, priests, and kings being anointed in the Old Testament, right? And I, and I, and I do see great significance of seeing how Christ fulfills all three roles as prophet, priest, and king. All right? Does that make sense? And he, and he was anointed with the Holy Ghost, so I got no problem seeing that. Right. I mean, there's an anointing there. I, 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 yeah. That's more just for the burial custom, but okay. Right? But all right, I, I see... All right, I see some significance there. All right, this, this one would make more sense than some of the others. Agreed? All right, next, the oil and the anointing would make more sense. Yeah, because you, you do see people in the Old Testament being anointed with uh, oil, prophet, priest, and king, and Jesus serves all three offices. Does it make sense? And he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. All right, so we can at least see some connection there. All right, here comes the next one. What do you think the next one is? Okay. 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 Fire and wind. That, that's, you know that's where charismatics go to. But we, before, we're, we can't get there yet because we're not charismatics. Okay. We got we to save that to last. All right. The, the one that we, everyone, uh, for us, this is probably the one we should run to. A seal. Okay. All right. S-E-A-L, right? A seal, Right. As be a something being sealed, right? And where do you go with that one? Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, I can just read it for you, verse 13. And whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that you believe, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Now, it's not, I guess you can liken or or trying to say a seal represents the Holy Spirit, but really the Holy Spirit serves as a seal, but I guess you could say a seal represents the Holy. It's just the whole idea of trying to make it symbolic that just drives me crazy, but okay. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit seals us? Well, remember what a seal was? A king would place a seal on something, and what could break the seal? Only something of equal or greater authority. If the Holy Spirit seals me, what can break that seal? Only something of equal and greater authority. Is that you? Is that sin? Is that the devil? Is that your friends? Is that the world? No. So therefore, I'm eternally sealed or secure, right? Okay, I, I think the seal concept is important. I don't know, but all right. That, fine. All right. Uh, go to Ephesians 4.30. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Right. Then go to 2 Corinthians one twenty two. Who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. So clearly we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's, fa- that's factual. Again, so 
Whenever you see a seal, does that represent the Holy Spirit? I'm just saying the Spirit is likened to a seal. That's how I, you see how I would like it, I would state it more that way. This is what they say the seal represents. You ready? All right, it represents the Holy Spirit and it means this. Ownership, finished transaction, identification, security, genuineness, value, and authority. Yes. But he's given us the spirit and uh, uh, earnest of our spirit in our hearts. But so God, God does seal us, but they would say they use the Holy Spirit to, to accomplish it based on the other passages. But I see what you're saying. Okay. All right. Everybody see that? All right. That one works halfway decent. Yes. All right. So let's go back to all the ones we've, we've looked at so far. What was the first one? Supposedly the dove. We have a couple of issues with it. Clearly, uh, the dove does descend upon Christ, right? And we do believe the Spirit of God descends like a dove upon Christ. We can all agree that the Scriptures state that, yes? So, all right, however you want to do with that, we can agree with that. They claim the dove represents certain things that we cannot verify and cannot prove. Agreed? All right, so that, that would be a problem. What was the second one? Water. Water, and we had, we had a couple of issues with that one, yes? All right, a little bit, okay. Next, oil, and we have we, some things there we could work out with. Then we have the seal, and then what's next? Wind. Wind, and where does everyone go with this one? Well, let's go to John first. John chapter 3, verse 8. John 3, 8, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whether it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So, being born of the Spirit is in a sense like wind, because what, what's the one thing about Wind. You can't really see it. You don't know where it's going. There's no control. And how God works in us to bring someone to salvation, well, it, you can't necessarily see how that's going to work, right? Oh, well, I, I'm always getting nervous. I always get nervous about that because then that makes the, the Holy Spirit an experiential thing. And what if you don't have that feeling? And then that leads to all kinds of subjective craziness. I think the idea is you can't see how God is working on someone, right? It goes wherever and however it, wor- where it works. You can't tell or see, right? You, just like you, now I know a lot of people say, well, you can see the results of the wind. But I think the point here is that the, the wind is unseen and the spirit is unseen. I think it's focusing on unseen is what the emphasis is. That's my I know a lot. See, here's always the problem. Once you start symbolizing, people just start going crazy. And then they start taking it and taking it and taking it. And you're like, well, I think we're going to end up in theological problems here. But I think it's unseen. That is a fact. All right. What's another scripture dealing with wind? Acts 2. Oh, everyone loves Acts 2. All right. Here we go. All right. 
And when the day of, this is Acts 2, verses 1 through 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. So like, see, the wind represents the spirit. Or the wind was just an indication that the spirit was there. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand the need to like everything, make everything a symbol, but okay. All right. I think it's referring to a historical event that had happened. Put it this way. We know this. The Holy Spirit's omnipresent, right? So the Holy Spirit's in this room right now, yes? Is there wind? <laughs> but I'm saying we don't have a wind coming into... The, so, it, so I'm saying, did in that particular case, wind and the Spirit were connected? Yes. Is the wind connected with... The fact that the spirit, but it's only, it's not dealing with the blowing of the wind in John. It's just dealing with the unseen power of the wind. And I, so I, you just, I just, I don't know how, sometimes we take these things to such a level that I just, I just don't know. I, I, I get concerned with it. Can anybody think of another one that would connect the spirit with wind? All right, I think those are the two main ones. Okay, so what do we got so far? Supposedly symbols. Dove, water, oil, seal, wind. Okay. Well, well remember he wasn't, the, the Spirit of God wasn't in the strong storm. Remember he wasn't in all the big things and then he was, he shows up was it a small wind or just in a still voice? I can't remember. Okay, right. Right. So I guess, I guess you could possibly connect it to that. But you had wind present and he wasn't in it. <laughs> See? So sometimes he's in it, in it and sometimes he's not. So that just becomes even more, that just complicates it even more. Yes? All right. Next. Well, in, in, in John 3, it's talking about, it's not even talking about someone saved yet. It's talking about the Spirit moving to save someone. No, it's talking about uh, the wind blows and cometh, and so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. It isn't talking about the wind doing anything. It's not blowing and it's talking about who's born of the Spirit. It's not even talking about. Right, but I'm saying it's unseen. You agree with that? Right, yeah. It's unseen. That's why it's talking about the, we don't know who's... Right, okay, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Right. In other words, we don't know who the, first of all, we don't know who the Spirit's working on or in to be saved, and we don't, we cannot necessarily know who is or isn't. Okay, I I see what you're saying. All right. Yeah. Yeah, the wind there is just, all it's using, it's just using an example. That's what I'm saying. You, some of these are just examples. It's like this. I don't like, it's a symbol. It's an emblem. It's just, there are certain sections where you compare something to something where in other cases, the wind is used and it has nothing to do with, with the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? It just, uh, I, I just, man, these things drive me crazy, but we have to at least address them. Okay, we've got one more, I think. One more. Fire. Fire. Though, uh, supposedly indicates unseen power. Okay? I, 
I, I don't have a major, at least that's better than what they did with the dove. Okay, that's better than what they did with the dove. All right, it is unseen. Well, this is what they give us. You ready? Fire. They go to Exodus 3 2. They go to Exodus 3 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. How is that an emblem of the Holy Spirit? What they would say is it's connected with indicating the presence of God. But, okay. But, right, but I mean, it's re- it clearly refers to the angel of the Lord. Now, now you've got to be careful because the, now you've got to... If, if, yeah, so the angel of the Lord, like, okay, what... If we say the angel of the Lord is an Old Testament Christophany, where it's an Old Testament appearance of Christ, well then, you, remember we've got to separate the persons of the Holy Spirit, like the persons of the Trinity. I just, I, I don't know where they're going with that, but okay. So there's Exodus 3.2. Guess what the second one is? We're going to go through these quickly. A Leviticus 9.24. Leviticus 9.24, And there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed both the altar, the burnt offering, and the fat, which when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. Is the Holy Spirit even mentioned? <laughs> I, like, I, I don't know. What, what are they doing with that one? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Exodus thirteen twenty one. And the Lord went before them by a day and a pillar of cloud and led them away and by night and a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and by night. Exodus thirteen twenty one. This is the spirit's not even mentioned, is it? I don't. Know. Oh man, this kind of stuff drives me crazy. All right. How about? How about Isaiah 6, 1 through 8? Find the fire in Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. They flew one of the seraphim, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar and laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched my, thy lips and thine iniquity. Is fire even mentioned? All right. Okay. Uh, then they have Acts 2, 3. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. Acts 2, 3, two, three may be the closest you could come with, right? Maybe. These others, I don't even know what they're doing. I, I can tell, I know what they're doing, but I'll, I'll explain it in a minute. But it's just, I think it's bad Bible study. All right. Then, right. I mean, the Holy Spirit comes upon them, but right. Uh, Hebrews twelve twenty nine. For our God is a consuming fire. 
Now, this is what they do. Why they use those specific passages is this. Fire indicates presence, approval, protection, purifying, gift, and judgment. So, Exodus 3.2, presence. Leviticus 9.24, approval. Uh, Exodus 13.21, protection. Uh, Isaiah 6, purifying. Acts 2, gift. And then judgment is Hebrews 12.29. So they just like, here's, here's things linked to the Holy Spirit. Let's just go find verses that don't even mention the Holy Spirit, but it mentions protection, purifying, and we'll just say, see, fire represents all of this, and the Holy Spirit does this, therefore it's connected. Major problems there, agreed? All right, so one, the last one, I thought that was the last one. What they refer to as an earnest. An earnest. What is an earnest? A pledge or a down payment. And we see this in 2 Corinthians 12, or 2 Corinthians 1.22, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit of our, in our hearts. It's kind of like a down payment, a guarantee. 2 Corinthians 1.22. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 5. Now he hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. And then 2 Corinthians, uh, or Ephesians 1, 14. Which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Earnest is the idea of a down payment or a guarantee. Now, to me, does that mean an earnest is a symbol of the Holy Spirit? It just means the Holy Spirit serves as what? A guarantee. I don't need to make that symbolism. The Holy Spirit's job in me is a guarantee of what? If I have the Holy Spirit in me, it's a guarantee that I will be with Christ one day, that I belong to Him. I don't know why I have to draw that symbolism or an emblem. All right, so, what are all the ones we looked at? Number one, dove. Number two, water. Number three, oil. Number four, seal. Number five, wind. Number six, fire. Number seven, earnest. When you look at all of them, what did we conclude? The main thing is, do you have to say that these are symbols? I, I, I just... I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't like the concept of a symbol or, or a type. What I would say is, do some of these things point to some things the Holy Spirit may be involved in? Well, he's involved in sealing us, yes. He's involved in being a guarantee, yes. Right? Is he, I don't know what the dove would represent, because now, see now, I put it this way. Did the dove descend upon Christ? Did the Holy Spirit descend upon Christ like a dove? Yes. All right. If we connect the dove with peace, okay, which is even a okay, purity, modesty, okay, none of those, none of those really work. But even if we connected it with peace, we could say that the fruit of the spirit is peace. But that I don't need the dove to figure that out, right? Right. I don't need the dove. All right. Fire. 
Well, they just tried to find things. Those things that they talk about, are the Holy Spirit involved in some of those things? Maybe, but I would need scriptures that actually mention the Holy Spirit doing those things, not scripture about those things happening in different contexts where the Spirit's not even mentioned. That's just horrible Bible study, hermeneutics. It's just horrible. Now, why did we spend an hour doing this? Why do you think? <laughs> Stacy's like, I don't know. Why? Now, to demonstrate that when it comes to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, there's just so much weirdness to it, right? Everyone goes crazy. They want everything to be, represent this. They want this to, to, to symbolize this. And they want the Holy Spirit saying the Holy Spirit does this and the Holy Spirit does that. And it's just, it's a free-for-all. It's, it's just spiritual anarchy. Because I want you to realize this textbook is not used in some crazy charismatic seminary. And an independent fundamental Baptist seminary. So even in a place where you would think they're, they, they're not influenced by charismatic theology and they're very sola scriptura, their use of scripture in dealing with the Holy Spirit was suspect and questionable to say the very least. Does that make sense? So what... We have to come up with something better. We have to come up with a better approach. Now, as we go through and see everything they do, we're going to look at everything because we're, we're trying to take this apart. And not only that, one of the things is, uh, the, one of the original assignments was everyone to do a topical uh, Bible study method on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting is one of those things you have to do is you've got to find every verse that relates to the subject. Well, what I want them to see is that a lot of people will try to say, hey, you see that word, you see the verses about a dove or about fire? That's the Holy Spirit. And you're, what I want you to realize is, no, you cannot say that if the scriptures do not clearly indicate it. All right? And does, what, what do you, I guess it really comes down to what, how do we define a symbol or an emblem? Just because something is likened to something else, does that mean it's a symbol or an emblem? It just means in that particular verse, it was, it's comparing, it's, it's using something as an illustration, right? To say something is an emblem or a symbol, you would have to say that the, every time that thing is mentioned, it's pointing to the Holy Spirit. Is every time when mentioned, is it pointing to the Holy Spirit? Is every time a dove mentioned, is it pointing to the Holy Spirit? You found a verse that talked about a silly dove. Clearly, so you see why you got to be careful when you say something is a symbol or an emblem? Because you're somehow indicating that that's true where? Everywhere. But if it's not, then what you can say is in some scriptures, the Holy Spirit is likened to a dove, or a dove is likened to a spirit, however you want to refer to it, or wind, or water. In certain cases, it doesn't mean in every case, Right? Doesn't mean that. Doesn't mean it's a universal symbol. It just exactly. And what 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 happens over and over and over in the Bible? What what's it called when you use maybe a physical description to help us understand God, who is a spirit? What do they do? Starts with an A.
Okay, anthropomorphism, right? Where you use a, a, like a, a, a human example, like eye or hand, or refer to, we, we're hidden under his wings. God is not, is not a bird, right? He's a spirit, but it's got to liken it to what? To things we can understand. The spirit is what? A spirit. Invisible. So you have to find things to liken it to, to compare it to. doesn't mean it's a symbol. doesn't mean it's an emblem. It just means it's giving you, in certain cases, something that you can go, okay, I, okay, I see what they're doing. Okay, I see, what, I, I see how that works here. I see, I see a connection here. But it doesn't mean that you make it a symbol universally. It just means in those individual passages, you're like, it's using this to help us understand the work of the Spirit. Or it's using this language to help us understand God. Like a rock. Right. Right, exactly. If fire shows up in Acts 2, well then why did fire not come down upon Jesus in the baptism? But it was like a dove. And see, it's just using symbols to help us understand. And I'm saying a symbol in those specific cases. Doesn't mean it's a universal symbol that applies in every Every time you see fire, like, that's the Holy Spirit. Hey, I'll go to Leviticus. It mentions fire. That's the Holy Spirit because Acts 2 mentions That's just horrible Bible study. Exactly, right. So there, it, it was a one, it was used for, in a specific example, yeah. if that makes sense. All right, we'll stop. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. Very complicated subject that has divided Christians for 2,000 years. If we don't take the time to look at how these scriptures are handled, then we cannot be protected from this later on. So I hope that this exercise protects us from the misuse of scripture to try to prove something about the Holy Spirit that may or may not be accurate. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...